Well, good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing this week? Good. Are we ready for the sunshine and the warm weather? Yes. yes. And all the things that come with it, yard work and stuff. <laughs> so, well, thank you for joining us this morning. Um, we're going to be continuing our look at Ephesians, and we'll be looking at the relationship between the Father and the Son this morning. And uh, what a wonderful relationship that is, and we can learn so much from that relationship, and we'll look into it this morning and see what Scripture has to say about it and uh, how we can apply it to our own lives and, and learn from uh, that love there. So before we get too much further, let's pray. Father Almighty, we praise you. We thank you so much for being a wonderful God. We thank you so much for being our salvation, our strong arm and our fortress. We thank you so much for being a God who loves and answers prayer. And we thank you so much for surrounding us with your saints and the encouragement and love that you do, Lord. Thank you so much for the direction in your word. And uh, we thank you so much for the gift of your spirit. Of course, we thank you so much for the salvation that we have in your son, Jesus. Praise and be uh, the glory to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. So this morning, as we continue our look at Ephesians, we'll be looking at Ephesians chapter 1, verses, and the scripture says um, in the King James, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Now there's an interesting thing that's going on here in Ephesians. We look at this phrase here, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what the scripture is telling us is that even though Jesus is God, Jesus refers to his Father as God. That's his God. And so even though Jesus is God, he takes on this secondary role, if you will. He takes a back seat to the Father and he submits to him out of reverence and respect of who the Father is. And based on his title as God and Father, Jesus says, I realize that I am your begotten son and that you are my father. But not only that are you only my father, but you are also my God. And we see this submission in the Trinity as the Trinity submits to each other. So the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We have the Father. The Father chooses to glorify Jesus by making him the savior of the world. But we also see that Jesus submits to the Father. Even though the Father is glorifying his Son, Jesus submits and says, I'll do whatever you say. And we'll get into that in a second. And then we have the Holy Spirit, the third part of the Trinity. And what is the Holy Spirit's job? Well, that's the Spirit of the Father and the Holy Spirit's job is to glorify Christ. And so we have this, this triangle, this trinity, if you will. 
And they're all working in relation, submitting to one another as they glorify one another. So not only are they saying, hey, I abide in you and I submit to you, but they're saying, I will raise you up and elevate you. I will see that the world praises you and, and looks upon you as God. And that's what Jesus is doing here. And we see that over and over again. Jesus is praying to his Father. Jesus does things by the will of his Father. Um, he does things through the love of his Father. All these things because not only is, his, is the Father his dad, but his God too. And there's this relationship going on. So we're going to learn from this relationship, even though Jesus and the Father are equal. Jesus says, I will lift you up, Father. And the Father says, no, son, I will lift you up. And we have this thing going on where they're submitting, and specifically the Son submits to the Father, but then everyone is glorified. And we all see this happening, as King James says, in love. That's, that's the key there. So before we get too much further, let's look at point one. What is point one? Christ is equal to the Father. We see that in a couple of places. And, and it's really what got Jesus, quote unquote, in trouble with the Pharisees. In John 5.18, it says, this, is, this was why the Jews were uh, seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, according to them, right? But he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So in the eyes of Hebrew culture and many other cultures, if you say you're the son of, that gives you the entitlement of everything in that household. So in other words, if your dad has a particular responsibility and authority, you being the son and heir to that household would also have those responsibilities and authorities before men. So Jesus saying that God is his father, in essence, he is saying, I too have those powers. I am of God. We're equal. He's my father, therefore I am his inheritance, or vice versa. The next thing that we see, and Paul takes it a step further in Philippians, and we're going to spend much of our morning uh, looking at these verses here. But in chapter 2 of Philippians, between 1 and 11, we're going to be looking at a few of these scriptures. But let's look at Philippians chapter 2, 5 and 6. It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So we see that Jesus... Though he's equal with God, he didn't, he didn't go there. He didn't say, hey, we're, we're going to compete. He took a back seat, let his father reign. And as his father reigned, his father chose to use Jesus to become the Savior of the world. 
It's this picture of submission in action. We see that Christ here is equal, but he did not raise himself. It says here that he, even though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God. He's like, even though I know that I'm of God, I am not going to stake my claim and, and, and um, call upon these rights, if you will. We see that a lot today in society. People are like, this is my due. I want it now. This is, this is the respect that I am due. We see it all the time in sports. People negotiate for higher contracts because they feel that they're worth more. They hold more responsibility, therefore they should get paid more. We see that in the workplace. People do more things, they should get paid more. They should get more acknowledgement. They should get more recognition. Well, Jesus didn't do that. Jesus says, look, I know that I have all these powers, that by authority I am God. But Jesus says, no, I am not going to call on my rights as God. And so he did it. He took a back seat and submitted to the Father. And that's very important because it's this dynamic that allows the relationship to thrive and flourish in love. It doesn't mean that Jesus is inferior by any stretch. And so when we apply that to our own lives, when we go to the workplace or the household, or anything of the nature, we see that there are various hierarchies or levels of responsibility. Does that make one human more valuable than another? Absolutely not. What it just says is they have a different role. We are the body of Christ. Every member of the body of Christ is equal. And we see this in the relationship between the Father and the Son. They're equal but they each take on a particular role and submit to that authority or hierarchy that the Father has put into place. So, where does that make us? Well, we see, and we're talking about this, in 7 and 8, that Christ submitted to the Father. In 7 and 8 it says, But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Jesus, though being God, said, I will be obedient to you, Father, and whatever you decide that you want to do, I will submit to that. He submits to the authority and the Godhead of the Father. So let's not beat this too much, but what does that mean for us? It means that there's this relationship going on between God and his son. And that relationship, as we know, it is called abiding. Jesus says that he is in the Father, and the Father is in him. And Jesus is teaching us the same thing, that if we abide in God, God will abide in us. And so as we look at these scriptures and we see the dynamics of the relationship between the Father and the Son, what we should be looking for is how do we apply what Jesus did in relation, in love to the Father, how do we apply that to our own lives? 
so that we can walk just as Jesus did. Jesus is in the Father, the Father is in him. If we are in the Father, the Father too will be in us. And so that's the dynamic of the relationship we're looking for. How does this happen? Jesus submitted to the Father. So as a Christian, we too submit to God. What is God's will for our lives? Well, the first and foremost is that we call upon his Son, Jesus, as Savior. But it also means that we walk by the Spirit, and if we do the things that are pleasing to the Father. And we know, you know, from the Ten Commandments, obviously, there are those things that we should obey. But it also means that in love, that we saw in the Scripture, in love, we serve one another. In love, we serve God. In love, we submit to the hierarchies and the relationships that he has put forth so that his kingdom can operate. Even though we're all equal, we can't all be, quote-unquote, leaders. And even those leaders we know in Scripture, they're not called, so to speak, to lead as the world leads, but to become a servant of all. Jesus says that he did not come to serve, but, or rather to be served, but he came to serve just like us. And so that's what we use our authority and leadership for. We use it to submit to one another and to serve one another, just as Christ did. So in John 5.30, Jesus talks about this abiding in various places, but let's see what it says here in 5.30. It says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And then again in 6.38, it says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So Jesus is operating in the will of his Father. And then he really brings it home in 1510 in John. And he says here, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So when we walk in God's will, we're keeping his commandments. Or vice versa, when we do God's commandments, we're walking in his will. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to do the will and work of his Father. And so when you do that, you are abiding in God. And when you're abiding in God, God will abide in you. Okay, so this is the dynamic that is occurring because Jesus chose to leave his right as God on the table and submit to the Father and his purposes. But when we do that, we don't become a slave. We don't become a pawn. 
The Father elevates us in this love that we keep talking about, and he elevates his children. And we're going to see in John chapter 17 that it is God's goal that his children become glorified, just as Jesus was glorified. When God's children are glorified, the Father is glorified. When people recognize that God's children are doing something special, something good, they see this love of God, God is brought to people's minds, to their hearts, they recognize that there's some divine force happening, that there's some special good going on, not only in people's lives, but the community. When they recognize this, because people look to God as the source of this, God is glorified. When people start to realize that people alone can't be doing some of the things that they're doing, there's a higher force involved, that God is the power involved, behind our love and our care for one another, God is glorified in that. God sees that and, and he loves it. Which brings us to the next point, the glorification by God. Christ is glorified by the Father. Not only is he glorified by the things that he did and the miracles and the love that he showed, but obviously by being the Savior of the world. Uh, Philippians 2.9, and we'll continue with what Philippians has to say there. And it says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. They confess that Jesus is Lord, the Father is glorified. It's all the Father's plan. And we are all submitting to it in some way as Christians. And as we do that, God shines his presence on us in our lives and we're glorified. As we're glorified, God in turn is glorified. So, all this scripture in chapter 2 points to the fact that if we're humble and we submit to God's purposes, it says in verse 9, therefore God has highly exalted him. God had highly exalted him because in verse 5 he had this mind where though he was equal with God, he did not submit or um, count himself to be on the same level as God. He emptied himself and said, you're in charge. And when God said, I see your humility, and God, what does it say? He opposes the proud, but he lifts up the humble. When we take a humble approach in our heart to God, the Father says, he looks on that. Because when we decide to demand things in our lives, we're not being content, right? And we're like, I want this now. I deserve this. I've been waiting long enough. Well, that's not humility. That's self-righteousness self where you think that you deserve what is yours. It's no different than the prodigal son. We, we are somewhat familiar with that story where the prodigal son demands his inheritance now from the dad. 
And the dad says, okay, here you go. And what does the prodigal son do with that inheritance? He goes off into the world and he blows it. He goes to a place like Las Vegas and he lives it up and he basically a week later it's all gone and then he's working in the pig um, pen. He blew all his inheritance. He didn't show good stewardship of what God gave him and he lived it up for the world and had a good time right now. And then he blew it all. And he realized the blessings that he had from his dad and he went back. Well, that's because initially he did not submit to his father's will. If we look at Christ in that relationship with the father, the father has a plan. Not only did he have a plan to lift up Christ to be savior of the world, but likewise, that plan doesn't stop there. He too has a plan for us that he drafted up before the foundation of the world. And then when we show humility and we say, Father, Let's, let's walk in this plan. I will submit to you. I know that you love me. And God takes that heart of humility and he elevates us and he glorifies us and he gives us those same blessings that he reserved for his son. We cannot forget the fact that in, in 2 Peter, it tells us that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing that we need. Everything to be divine partakers in this world with him. But it, what does it mean? It means, okay, I will submit to you, God. I know things sometimes will not go my way, but as long as they go your way, everything's okay. Because even in frustration, we can sit there and go, okay, how is this working out? Because right now, it doesn't feel too good. A great example of that is Jesus in the garden just before he's about to be crucified. He says, your will, Father. But he's like, in the flesh, this doesn't feel too good. So if there's any other way that this cup can pass, let's do that. But your will. And then he realizes, okay, this is the way it has to go down. I he knows that in his flesh, he's being tormented. He's being attacked by Satan. The Romans are coming after him. The weight of sin of the world is coming down on Christ. But yet he still chooses to submit to the Father and his love, knowing that the glory at the end is going to far surpass any pain that he felt. Just about think about how Jesus felt when he walked out of that tomb, resurrected. He defeated Satan. He defeated death. And he conquered sin for the benefit of mankind. What a victory. But he had to give up his life. He had to give up his will and let it take a back seat to the Father's will. When we do that, he knows that we're going through difficult times. He knows that we're being challenged and some of this stuff is very painful. But when we have a humble heart and we trust in him, he delivers just like he delivered for Christ. And Christ was glorified. Which leads me to the fact that this was a display of God's love to his son. And in multiple scriptures, the father himself speaks to the point where other people can audibly hear it. 
and he expresses his love for his son. In Matthew 3.17, when Jesus was baptized, it says here, And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And then again, in the transfiguration in Mark in chapter 9, Jesus takes John and Peter, and they go, and Jesus meets with Moses and Elijah. And it says in 9-7, And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. In a couple of places, God audibly expresses his love for his son. So as I mentioned, what does this all mean for us? Well, as we look at this relationship, I want us to see it as an example of how we work in love with the Father. Jesus was the picture, the illustration, the instruction manual, if you will, for how we as Christians, how we as people are supposed to operate in love with God. How we're supposed to submit to him and how we're supposed to relate to him. We're not supposed to look at God and be so afraid of him that we disobey him. Some people are so fearful of God that they want nothing to do with him. Let's not let his power intimidate us to the point of paralysis. But let it come and seek into us and empower us drawing us closer so that we realize the true nature of who he is. Because a lot of people think that God just wants to control us. That's not the case at all. God simply wants us to be holy and stay out of trouble. But he has said, this whole world is for you as Christians to glorify God. Use everything that he has given us to serve him and to bring him glory. Use the things in the world to help one another, not to put one another down. We see people who are trying to acquire more and more things, rise up the company ladder or the power politics or whatever they're at, and they want more. They want more. Whatever they have is not good enough. They own one company, now they want two. A great example of this is Elon Musk. Isn't that his name? the Tesla guy, now he wants to open a candy company. And the guy, he, nothing satisfies him. Why? Because he doesn't have God in his life. He's not content with anything. So he has to keep going on to the next biggest venture, and hopefully that satisfies his adrenaline. Hopefully that satisfies his need for power and money. And attention. Let's not forget that these guys aren't doing this behind the scenes. Everybody knows who Elon is. Why? Because he's sending out media things to everybody and saying, look at what I'm doing. Look at what I'm doing. I'm doing these things. And when things don't go right, he attacks them. Just like anybody else with an ego. They're like, hey, Elon, why did you do this with your analysis? Why are you questioning me? Why are you in the public? This is what happens to people of power. They thirst for more and more, and they're never satisfied with God. They don't want anything to do with him. You want me to take a back seat and submit? You want me to 
think less of myself. I'm trying to conquer the world. I'm trying to go to space. We have two competing agendas here in the world. As Christians, we look to Christ and how he loved on the Father and how the Father loved him. And by no means do we take a self-righteous or prideful attitude. And we look on him, we have a humble heart, and we submit to the will of the Father. We do these things out of love. We do these things out of love. Think of your own relationship with your own parents. We serve them out of love. Now, there were times when our parents got mad at us and said, hey, if you don't do right, you're going to get disciplined. You're going to get punished. But those are the times where we're walking contrary to sound judgment. Well, just like that in the world, when we start to do things that run contrary to God, as a loving father, he guides us in the right way to live. He says, remember my laws. They say not to do this. Remember my teachings. They say not to chase after the world. Because what's going to happen if you chase after the world? You're just going to get hurt. Well, it may not seem like that when your company is thriving on its way to the top as you run over people. But once you get to the top and there's no more place to go and you realize that you've stomped on everybody to get there, and now nobody really loves you, and you're alone. You have everything that you wanted, but now you don't have people. There's nobody in your life to share it with. And you're so far from God that he's not even in your life. All this from chasing after the world. But when we chase after God, God says, Seek me and my righteousness first, and all these things will be added on to you. God is saying, if you chase after me, you abide in me, you trust in me, I will take care of you. I will make sure that the things that you need are presented to you, that you're blessed, that you're cared for through this world. And through it all, you'll obtain salvation. We look at this love and action it's a beautiful thing. And I think the best part about it, and I'm not sure I put it on here. Yeah. The best part about the Father's love is that God chose his son and his son only to be the Savior of the world. He says, because you do these things for me, son, and because you love me, I will give you the title of Savior. No one else has that title, all because Jesus submitted to the Father. Now, we're not going to be made Savior, but I want us to know that Jesus came out of obedience, even obedience to the point on the cross, for us. This was a great display of God's love, not only to his Son, but to each one of us. That God would take his only son, put him on a cross, so that we can be included in his kingdom for eternity. All this was done in love. This love right here that we keep talking about. If we learn anything as Christians, I want us to try and gain some kind of idea, some kind of measure to grasp 
what God's love is truly like. I don't want us to go through the world and go, oh, we missed the mark. I never saw God's love. Because that happens. Christians go through life and they're so into the traditions. They're so into all the things of the church, but not Christ himself. I don't want us to go through life that way. I want us to go through life as Christians who are extremely close to the Father. And then when we pray, we pray to him just as if he was right before us. And he's our daddy. We know he's our daddy. And we pray to him just like Christ did. And he says, Abba, Father, I know that you hear me because you're my daddy. As we wrap up, I want us to look at John chapter 17 because this is really important for us. I don't think a lot of Christians really understand the brevity of the relationship that we have with God. I'm going to start in John 17, 22. And Jesus says, and he's talking to his father, he says, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That's us. That they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Do you see that? Jesus is telling us that the Father and the same love that he has for his Son is the same love that he has for each one of us. That's powerful. It says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I may know to them that your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I. This is what kind of love we're talking about. The same love that the Father has for his own Son that he glorified and made Savior of the world is the same love that he has reserved for each one of us. Life is hard, but I think it's going to be so much harder for us if we don't trust in God, if we don't pray to him, if we don't submit to his will. And when we don't do these things, what we're really doing is we're saying, God, I don't want your love right now. I don't need your love. When God directs his attention at you, take it. He is showing you love, even if it doesn't feel like it. When he tells you that you're not doing something right, listen to him. Seek the right ways. Look at the word. Look at the example that Jesus gave us. In 1 John, it says that as Christians, we should walk as Jesus walked. Well, we can certainly heal people by praying for them. We can certainly walk on water as Peter did by exercising our faith. Jesus says in Matthew, I think, or John 9 or somewhere in there, that we'll do greater things by the power of the Spirit. 
This is when we trust in God and we allow him to work in our lives. When we seek him in prayer and we seek him in the word and we go, hey, we have this issue. And it doesn't have to be a problem. Wherever you want to go in life, how do we get there, Lord? I want, I want this for my family. But I want to glorify you. And I don't want to do anything that runs contrary. Well, Scripture says in Proverbs that when you submit your plans to the Lord, the Lord will make your path straight. He will get you there. When you submit your plans to the Lord, the Lord will bring to, to mind, hey, son, hey, daughter, have you thought about this? How are you going to do this and this? Okay, I'm starting to think the Spirit's working in me. You're submitting your plans to God, and God's Spirit, through His wisdom, is guiding you so that your plans succeed. When you give your plans, your dreams to God, he will make them succeed. Well, when you submit to his will, he's basically giving you the recipe for a successful life in him. You say, hey, if you don't steal, you'll stay out of prison. You'll keep good relationships with people. If you don't lie, your relationships will be strong because people will trust you. If you don't become jealous, and, and it's really easy to spot somebody who's jealous because they start to distance themselves. If they don't cry out for attention, they kind of fall off of the back. And you're like, hey, what's going on? And, and they don't speak to you. Why? Because they have this internal strife of something that is happening in your life or something around your life that they desire and they're mad because it's not happening to them. You know, when we get jealous of our friends, it ruins relationships. We go through all these things. When we honor our parents, God blesses us. These are all his rules. But they're not meant to squash our dreams. They're meant to help us obtain the dreams that God has put us on our hearts. The scripture tells us that we have dreams because God put them there. God's the one who put those aspirations on your heart. If, if it's a godly aspiration and he put it on your heart, don't you think he's going to give you the resources to make that dream come true? Absolutely. You look no further than how Jesus was empowered by the full measure of the Holy Spirit. The full measure of the Holy Spirit. We want God in us. Ask for more of the Spirit. Ask for more of Him. And as He gives it to you, you'll feel more of His love, and you'll become closer to Him. As you get closer to God, you feel His presence more. As you feel His presence more, your faith starts to grow more and more. And not only that, but we're convicted of how to live a holy life before Him. And this holiness at some point starts to go like, okay, I now realize why God is telling me to do the things that he's telling me to do. Because you know, when you're a walking, when you picture yourself as a kid, and your mom or your dad says, don't put your hand in the socket. When you're two years old, you don't understand that there's electricity coming out of that socket that could kill you. 
All you understand is that your mom and your dad are telling you to stay away from that soccer. Well, when you get to a point where you're like seven or eight or ten, you realize that the electricity from that socket can kill you. You now understand the meaning of why your parents told you those things. It's the same in Christianity. You know, at first we don't understand why it seems to make sense to forgive. Because when we're in that much hurt, it doesn't make sense to forgive. Well, when you become more mature, you realize that when you give this hurt to God, he redeems that hurt, and you don't live in hate and in bitterness. And it protects your heart. God's doing this to protect us from the evils and the darknesses that can come and penetrate us. The world says, get back. Seek revenge. Get even. God's saying, I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. Protect your heart. Stay in Christ. Let's pray. Father Almighty, we thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you so much for giving us an awesome picture of the relationship that we can have with you in love. All this through Jesus Christ. We thank you so much for allowing us to participate in salvation and your divine nature, Lord. Thank you for the gift of the Spirit and teaching us the way you do about your love. Thank you so much for your goodness and your faithfulness, your compassion. And Lord, I just thank you so much for my brothers and sisters in Christ. You are an awesome God and we give you all the praise in Jesus' name.